Okay, so here we go. So, fortitude, overcoming lukewarmness with, through the example of St. Peter. And I love St. Peter because I think he's a great person to emulate in the Bible for many reasons. So, we're going to start with a quote from Revelations 3. You probably know this one, but just to remind ourselves. It says, Write to the angel of church of Laodicea and say, Here is the message of the Amen, the trustworthy, the true witness, the principle of God's creation. I know about your activities, how you are neither cold nor hot, I, you know, but only lukewarm. I will spit you out of my mouth. You say to yourself, I am rich, I have made a fortune, I have everything I want, never realizing that you are wretchedly and pitifully poor and blind and naked too. I warn you, buy from me the gold that has been tested in fire to make the truly rich, and white robes to clothe you and hide your shameful nakedness, and ointment to put on your eyes to enable you to see. I reprove and train those whom I love, so repent in real earnest. So, you know, ne you never like to hear Jesus say, I wish you were one or the other, I will spit you out of my mouth, right? That sounds pretty depressing. So coming back to this, now shifting to, so what is fortitude? What do you think of when you hear the word fortitude? Strength. Going out and running with a sword and shield and to like face the whole army by yourself, right? Something like that? Okay. So Aquinas calls it a special virtue in particular because it's necessary for you to have fortitude to actually carry out all the other virtues. So if you don't have fortitude, you can't actually carry out any other virtues, at least well. And he calls fortitude is a deliberate facing of dangers and bearing of toils in order for the will to act in accordance with reason and what is good. So it actually encompasses two ideas. One is facing dangers, so difficulties, and two is bearing with toils because there's times you can't overcome evil and you have to patiently bear through evil times. So you have to have both of these and actually patience is a subset virtue of fortitude, okay? So now let's get to the story of Peter and going from lukewarmness to fortitude. So this is in John's Gospel, it's, and it's after Jesus is arrested. And it says, They led Jesus away to the high priest, and all the chief priests and the elders and scribes came together. And it says specifically, Peter followed him at a distance into the high priest's courtyard and was seated with the guards, warming himself by the fire. So how the Holy Spirit you know, weaves into this beautiful artistry. What is St. Peter doing? You know, he's warming himself and he's falling at a distance. Yep. This top plate is really hot, all right, guys? Thank you. Continuing on to later on at this point, while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the high priest's maids came along and said, seeing Peter warming himself, she looked intently at him and said, you too were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. So he went out into the outer court. Then the crock crowed. The maid saw him and began saying again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. Once again he denied it. A little later the bystanders said to Peter once more, Surely you are one of them, for you too are a Galilean. 
He began to curse and to swear. I do not know this man who you're talking about. And immediately a crock crowed a second time. Then Peter remembered the words that Jesus had said to him, Before the crock crows twice, you will deny me three times. He broke down and wept. So now we have this image of Peter in his darkest moment, okay? Now I'm going to fast forward you now to a part in Acts 4, a different point in Peter's life. And it says, this is after Peter is brought before the Sanhedrin after they heal the blind man. And it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered them, Leaders of the people and elders, if you are being examined today about a good deed done to a cripple, namely by what means he was saved, then all of you and all the people of Israel should know that it was in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. In his name this man stands before you healed. He is the stone rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is no salvation through anyone else, nor is there any other name under heaven given to the human race by which we are to be saved. So, you know, you get this image of, uh, and then it says, observing the boldness of Peter and John and perceiving them to be uneducated, ordinary men, they were amazed and they recognized them as companions of Jesus. So all I can say is I hope I'm also uh, perceived as an uneducated, ordinary man too, just like Peter and John. But now they're recognized as companions of Jesus. So there's this transformation that happened from when you saw Peter in, you know, in the uh, waiting outside while Jesus' trial versus Peter now. So what happened? What took him from that lukewarmness of him just following Jesus at a distance and staying warm to now boldly proclaiming Jesus Christ and being even flogged later on by the authorities for the name of Jesus Christ, right? You know, what changed? What happened for Peter? He just woke up one day and he's like, dang it, I'm going to show those people up, right? Well, he was at some point, right? But was there anything that happened or the Holy Spirit came that Pentecost and boom, you know, his muscles grew and he got a he got a lance or something? No, he got another sword, right? The first sword, he, al he almost killed someone. He didn't quite get them. Only cut off their ear, right? Remember that. The first Pope out tried to kill someone. He missed and only took off his ear. Right? People forget that. No. So yes, it's the Holy Spirit. Yes, but it's not simply a lukewarm Peter getting inflamed by a tongue of fire into a bull Peter and snap. You know, there's this journey. So let's learn about the journey. So first, what is lukewarmness? Because we don't want to become the person that gets spit out by Jesus at the end of time. That doesn't sound like a good plan. So Saint Augustine wrote once that lukewarmness is when the joys of eternity call us from above and the pleasures and the temporal prosperity hold us fast below our one soul is in no state to embrace either with its entire will claimed by the truth for one to the other clamped by custom the soul is torn apart in distress so it's like jesus talked about when he said you can't serve two masters you can't serve god and man which is like money Okay, so when we're 
trying to live both a really worldly life, and this is what Jesus was talking about. They think they're rich. The, the church in Laodicea, they, the people think they're rich. They're trying to live a richly life, but they also say, I'm following God, and, you know, you can't be both, you know. At the heart of it, lukewarmness is a faith, you know, for the sake of comfort, okay? I believe in God because it makes me feel good and I feel better about myself, but, you know, you know, I'd say, uh, I, you know, you don't want to live a life, though, really, of lukewarmness, which is really a desire for an easy life and a not a life filled with love. Or as the Catechism says, lukewarmness is hesitation or negligence in responding to divine love. It can imply refusal to give oneself over to the prompting of charity. So basically, we don't want to give ourselves completely if it's going to be a sacrifice or cause us discomfort, okay? So, are you guys lukewarm? Maybe. So, there really isn't an answer of yes or no to this question. We actually all probably in some way at some time are lukewarm, okay? So there's times we're acting truly in a charitable way, we're loving God, and there's times we're, like Peter, following Jesus at a distance, not wanting to be like known as a Christian or kind of hide things, right? You know, or making anything that's going to discomfort us, or we don't want to have anything because we suffer from some laziness, you know? So, you know, unless we're about, to, unless when uh, we die, someone's going to say Santo Subito, which means sainthood immediately, okay? No one's going to probably say that about their life, our lives, probably especially mine, okay? You guys maybe, but not mine, okay? We all have some lukewarmness, okay? All right? So that might be depressing to think about, because if I have some lukewarmness, Jesus is going to spit me out. He said so in Revelation 3, right? But he said, notice he said only lukewarmness, that you're just a completely lukewarm individual, and that you have neither hot nor cold. So hopefully we have some hotness to us, all right, about our faith, okay? But at, also at the same time, we have some lukewarmness. So don't get depressed, but we don't want to rest on our laurels and think, oh, you know, what I am right now is good enough. I don't have to keep on working. So let's go back to the journey, how Peter grows from that moment, okay? So first thing, let's remember what it said at the end of that passage I gave you. Peter broke down and wept, okay? So this is a profound sense of failure came over Peter, right? You know, now maybe some of it's self-pity, like, oh, you know, I'm supposed to be the big guy that stands up with Jesus. I said I was going to go to prison and die for him at the Last Supper, you know, if you remember those. And of course, all the apostles said that, you know, and pretty much none of them followed through, right? Maybe John, okay? But, you know, also, we have to remember Jesus really had a genuine love for Jesus. I mean... You know, he left his family completely to follow Jesus. He left the boat and everything. He spoke firmly of Christ being the Son of God. Uh, he was the only disciple, remember, to try to go out on the water when they were freaked out and thought Jesus was a ghost coming to him. He was the only one who dared to come out of the water. The rest of them wanted to stay in the boat, remember? So at least he made an attempt, okay, even though he fell through, all right? And he, at the Last Supper, was trying to ask John to inquire about who's going to portray him. And then he pulled a sword for Jesus, right? Okay, so Peter really loves Jesus, okay? And we have to remember that, okay? Um, so we have to remember Peter this has remorse and contrition for his not standing up for Jesus and denying him three times. 
you know. And we need to have remorse as for our sins as well, and not just big moral sins like you know completely abandoning Christ, but even all the small venial sins, you know, because often we're falling into small venial sins every day, right? Uh, and we need to examine our conscience frequently to think about where did I make a mistake today? How can I be better? You know. And slowly over time, and with little acts of contrition and prayer, we can grow in these areas. And we can see our little habitual sins we do all the time, like we're impatient, or we yell at people, or we cur use curse words, or we take God's name in vain half-heartedly, right? We can grow in these areas and get better, even in small areas, right? So making frequent acts of contrition and thinking about what we failed with each day is an important thing to growing in our love for Christ, as Peter did. So, and then that also includes, of course, confession as we need it, of course. And we should try to be more frequently than, certainly more than once a year. Um, you know, the really good saints win every week. At least once a month is a good idea, though, okay, if you can. The other thing I'd like to point out is... Uh, an act that happens after the resurrection, but before Peter meets Jesus. And that's Peter runs to the tomb. So we next see in the Gospel of John, when Mary Magdalene comes up and set, tells them they've taken the body of Christ and she doesn't know where it's been taken. And remember, Peter with John runs to the tomb. Now, you have to think about this. The last time Peter saw Jesus was being, you know, tortured, and he knows he died on a cross, right? What's he going to expect when he runs to the tomb of Jesus? A dead body, right? A dead, bloody body. Maybe it's going to be disrespected because maybe the Pharisees or someone threw him out of the tomb, right? You're going to come face to face with your failure, right? That's a big deal to want to go there. I think most of us don't even want to have, if we're Peter, like, I'm not even going to the tomb, right? I'm done. I've given up. I'm not even going to care. But he runs. So the next thing we have to do, and this is part of fortitude, is face our fears that lead to our sins and our failures. Okay? And so, you know, um, to avoid, you know, to avoid falling again in further lukewarmness, we have to face those fears. And this is where fortitude comes in. Okay? So fortitude is a balance between being a coward which is failure to take prudent risks. Notice the word prudent, okay? Because of a fear of laziness uh, uh, or uh, a fear of loss versus brashness, which is being foolish, okay? And that's just running into danger for, you know, whatever, bravado's sake, right? It's like me running with a sword into a band of 100 soldiers by myself and saying, I'm going to defeat 100 men by myself. That's not fortitude, okay? That's just stupidity, all right? Okay? So, remember, Peter was a little brash when he tries to take on the Sanhedrin in the garden with his sword, and he's going to try to take all the people out. That's not going to work, right? So that's Peter being brash, right? All right? So, um, courage is facing evil, and endurance is remaining firm patiently in the midst of oppression, because there's going to be times we can't change evil. Right, like the state of Colorado passing an evil draconian abortion law. I can't change that, right? But I can endure through that and do what I can as best as I can, even despite the fact that it's been passed, all right? So, I want to give you a modern example of a, 
of a saintly scientist who showed fortitude in a modern career, to give you an example. So you guys probably know of uh, Dr. Jerome Lejeune, the guy who discovered uh, trisomy 21 or Down syndrome. So he was one of the first people genetically to show that this is due to three copies of the uh, chromosome 21. So at the time of his initial discovery, he was getting a lot of attention and people were praising him and stuff like that. And it says the list of recognitions and titles for which Dr. Lejeune was honored after his discovery is staggering, comprising some 80 pages and including the coveted Kennedy Prize that was given to him by President John F. Kennedy in 1962. So in October 1965, he was given the first chair of fundamental genetics at the prestigious university in Paris. And then in August of 1969, the American Society for Human Genetics granted him the William Allen Memorial Award, the highest distinction that can be given to a geneticist. On his arrival in San Francisco, though, where he received the award, Jerome became aware that abortion of Down syndrome children who were being diagnosed in Europe was expected to be authorized. So he planned to speak out against this while in America at an important genetics conference. And he said the physical nature of man is completely contained in the chromosomal message. From the first moment of conception, this message makes the new being a person, not a monkey, not a bear, but a man whose completely physical potentialities already contained in the information given to his first selves. Nothing more will be added to these potentialities which will serve his intellectual and spiritual life. Everything is there. He said, he bluntly concluded, the temptation to kill by abortion these small people inflicted with disease is contrary to moral law, and genetics confirms this conclusion. This moral law is not arbitrary. And guess what happened? No claps at this award thing for him. No one clapped, and he was met with hostile or annoyed silence after that point, and Jerome had collided head-on with them. And he wrote to his wife that day, today I lost my Nobel Prize in medicine, which he probably did. He probably would have gotten selected for a Nobel Prize, and he threw this away. But he was at peace, it says, and after this day, life was a real martyrdom. Persecution began, particularly in a reform of repeated tax inspections, and he received neither promotion nor salary increase for 17 years. His research grants were withdrawn. He was forced to close his laboratory. American and English laboratories, indignant about his mistreatment of the brilliant scientists, did grant him no cross private loans. And then he had a friendship with St. John Paul II that led to him becoming a member of the Pontifical Science Academy, which is appointed president later on. But he went through a really difficult time because of him standing up for the truth, okay? So he's an excellent example of someone who's, in a modern sense, lived out fortitude in the face of his faith for the truth. So let's get back to Peter. So we know that Peter would later meet the Lord as he met all the apostles, and and Jesus said to them, first thing, what did he say to them? Yes, peace be with you. And and in the battle of lukewarmness, we have to return to those words that Christ has for us, peace be with you. And we have to remember that after venerable Dr. Lejeune, because he's been raised to venerable now, so he's on the pathway to sainthood, faced his fears as Peter did, 
found peace in the resurrected Christ. And that's the one of the big fruits that fortitude brings us. Is as we develop more fortitude, we actually acquire the peace of what we're doing. More so than if we abandon the good and we have that restlessness of heart. Okay? So we want to develop that sense of peace over us living a life in love with Christ. And that especially comes through uh, through prayer and frequent sacraments and stuff like that and, and spiritual reading, right? So I actually like to read about saints, especially saints who are doctors. I just got done with St. Gianna's book. If you know of her, she um, died. She was an Italian pediatrician who died giving her life for the sake so her daughter would uh, survive and be born. She died one week after she had her daughter. And now her daughter actually uh, is a physician herself, amazingly. You know, so I, you know, reading, you know, these books can give you, and we want that peace because a lot of times doubts are going to keep bubbling up in our heart and make it hard to remain strong and keep that fortitude in difficult moments. And those types of things, prayer, being close to our Lord, help to keep us close to falling that and keep us in the peace that fortitude brings us, okay? But also going further, um, you know, Maybe each of us can look back at our lives and notice difficult struggles or faults we have overcome, whether uh, in educational, professional lives, maybe in sports, overcoming certain habitual sins. Sometimes we think about just taking stock and being happy with what we've accomplished. Like, I've arrived, I don't have to work hard, I'm better than all those other Catholics who only show up on Easter and Christmas, right? I'm, you know, I'm good, right? You know, but Christ is not simply looking for a Christian who goes to church on Sunday or falls pious prayers, you know, and tries to avoid serious sin. He wants us to go deeper, right? You know, to be perfect as his heavenly Father is perfect, right? You know, so fortitude helps us to continually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So as Christ reminds us, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Right? So we have to constantly come back to the fortitude and the peace that that brings us in living with Christ. Okay? And then we also have to remember what St. Paul said in Philippians, which you probably heard this last Sunday. Right? He says, yes, I will go further. Right? And he says, because of the supreme advantage of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, I count everything else as loss. For him I have accepted the loss of all other things, to look at them as filthy as filth, if only I can gain Christ, and be given a place in him with uprighteousness. I have gained not from the law, but through faith in Christ, and uprighteousness from God based on faith. Strive, you know, that I may come to know him and the power of his resurrection, partake of his sufferings by being molded to the pattern of his death. So that's his key thing. I have to be molded into the sufferings and death of Christ. Right? Okay. Yep. And then striving towards the goal of resurrection from the dead. You know, not that I've secured it already, right? Nor have I reached my goal, but I'm still pursuing it in an attempt to take hold of the prize for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not reckon myself having taken hold of it. I can only say that forgetting all that lies behind me and straining forward to what lies in front. 
So sometimes we have to look not at the past so much and get down, but keep on focusing on the goal ahead, right? Because we can get down sometimes about our past, about things we've done, sins we committed, and God doesn't want us to hold on to that. But he wants us, like St. Paul, to keep going forward. So he says, I'm racing towards the finish point to win the prize of God's heavenly call to Jesus Christ. And then he adds, meanwhile, let us go forward from the point we have each attained. So he's saying, from where you are right now, keep going forward. And that's what St. Peter did. So let's come back to St. Peter and his famous interaction with Jesus in John's Gospel in the last chapter um, when he asked him three times, do you love me? So he says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He then said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was distressed that he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Amen, amen, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. He said this signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had said this, he said, follow me. So important thing you might miss in this gospel in the English translation, um, which we only get from the Greek, right? So there's an important thing about the word love that is used. Do you guys know what it is? Yeah. So each time, the first two times Jesus asked, do you love me, he used the word agape, which Greek agape means a complete self-sacrificing love. And how does Peter respond? Yeah, he responds with the filial love, which is like a brother, which is like, yeah, we're kind of good buddy buds and stuff, but it's not a complete love, right? The third time, Jesus does use the word filial, like love me. And so he's trying to point out, yes, Peter, you love me like a brother, not like agape love yet, but one day you will. And do you guys remember the last interaction that Peter had with our Lord before he died? So this isn't in the Bible, this is by tradition. So, do you know the story of what happened before Peter was captured and, and then crucified upside down? So he's actually trying to flee Rome, because it was during the Nero uh, persecution, and he's fleeing Rome. And as he's leaving, guess what happens? He sees Jesus walking the other way. And he says the famous quote, Quo Vadis, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified again. And Peter knew he had to turn around and go back. And then he goes back and he gets captured and he's crucified. Right? So, you know, so our journey to love the Lord is incomplete right now for sure. Right? You know? And, you know, we have to go back to the chastisement about the lukewarm. You know, who believed in Christ, but they didn't put him at the highest good. They put the worldly things at the highest good. Right? And Jesus told those people, he said, Buy for me gold that has been tested in fire to make you truly rich, white robes to clothe you and hide your shameful nakedness, and ointment on your eyes to enable you to see. So the gold tested in fire really is deeds done through charity with effort and sacrifice, okay? So that's what happens when uh, uh, Paul says in Corinthians when he talks about our deeds being tested by fire, 
and those deeds that were not as good burning away that's where we get purgatory from in case any bible thumping person says purgatory doesn't exist you're like yeah it is this is in corinthians paul talked about it. why don't you go back there and read it okay <laughs> that's one does yeah right so um no be nice about it <laughs> yes it's in the bible okay but, you know, the rich young man's a perfect example of lukewarmness. Here's a guy who follows all the commandments. I haven't done that. Jesus didn't deny that. But then he said, sell all that you have. And he couldn't do it, right? You know, so you got to want to sanctify your work, right, each day. And in Opus Day, we talked about sanctifying work as meaning you're sanctifying your work as in you're doing it well. Being sanctified through your work, you know which means living it out in diligence, right? Punctuality, finishing your work well, doing a good job, not half-hearted job, and then sanctifying others through your work. So how you work, witness with your work by doing a good job, you know, the love that you show to other people that draws others, the conversations you have that might involve your faith at times, that's ways that you sanctify your work, and that takes those deeds and raises them to a higher level, to the deed of charity. You know, and then the white robe obviously is the purity of sin. We think about it as what we receive as our baptismal gift, right? You know, and that's again why we have to go back with, you know, confession and the sacraments to be, you know, cleansed of that. And look for those obstacles that are keeping away us away from Christ, that are limiting our relationship and growth. And then finally that ointment is the ability to see, right? And that has to be growing in our faith especially through things like reading and knowledge and understanding. So that can come from reading like the catechism or reading about saints or reading the Bible, right? And it could also be from like having a spiritual director, which is a good thing actually to have because going back to someone who you can turn to and like, here's my faults, here's where I keep on having problems, here's how my prayer life's going, what do you think, right? And hopefully the Holy Spirit is guiding that person to kind of give me some insight into where I can be better or guidance. So... You know, I actually talked to three people for spiritual direction because two of them are priests that go back and forth from Chicago to here. And then one's a lay person who's a little bit older who gives me spiritual direction as well. So having that can be important. And then finally, fortitude, we have to remember, is going to enable us to courageously face difficult tasks, be patient in moments that are troubled times that we can't fix, right? You know, so we can live a life full of love, not full of comfort, right? You know, and so we want to ask the Holy Spirit to increase that gift of fortitude that we received at confirmation, right? So we'll be less lukewarm, you know, and not simply sink comfortably by a fire, you know, falling at a distance with Christ. But we're going to be right next to him because if we remember, Christ said, I came to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it was already set ablaze. And he's talking about your soul. He wants it on fire, not lukewarm, not, eh, yeah, I'll pray, say some pious prayers and go to Mass on Sunday and try to be a nice person. No, I want you to be a saint, you know? I want you to be like a Saint Augustine or Saint Gianna, you know? Or Venerable, you know, Jerome Lejeune, right? That's what he wants for us. He doesn't want us to settle for, you know, easy living or I'll get through purgatory after 20, 50, 100 years, however long that will be. And then I'll be in heaven and yippee-skippy, and we'll be like a country club, right? No. Right? So we're not looking for country club faith living. We're looking for real, honest, tough living, right? So.